Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Well, good morning, Candeo Church. Good to see you all. Thanks for joining us this morning. My name is Trent Elliott. If we haven't met yet, I'm the director of our college ministry, missing our college students already. But it's good to see you guys. We're officially eight days away from Christmas. So Christmas is coming soon. Hope you guys are excited and hope you've got your Christmas shopping done. Some of you, maybe this is a reminder to get it finished. Uh, Last time I've been to Target, Walmart, it has been absolutely hectic. And so fair warning, when you go, uh, it is, it's crazy. You know, this time of the year, it is absolutely nuts. Like every time there's going to be huge lines. It's really annoying. There's one thing that I've learned about my consumer habits, especially emphasized during this time of year, is that I will do anything to avoid a line. Is that just me? Anybody else like avoiding lines? Big, yeah, just like anything you can do to avoid a line. Okay, who are the avoid? Yep, just raise your hand. That's, I'm college, I do college ministry. We raise our hands. Okay, great. <laughs> I'll do anything to avoid a line. In fact, like I think uh, Menards, you know, when I go to Menards, I do more calculating to try to figure out what the shortest line is than I do probably math or calculating in the rest of my week, right? I'm looking at like, okay, what type of person is like getting in this line? Are they like someone who's looking to get a project done? Are they just kind of lounging? You know, what, like what items are they bringing through? Are they going to be quick items? How many items? I'll do all the calculating. I'll get in a line and that's the line I commit to right? And it is painful for me if I make the wrong calculation to see another line go through, right? While I'm waiting there for my line and I'm like, dang, this is the worst. I've made the worst decision. All the sin comes out of my heart. It's not great, right? That's, that's me when I go to lines. And if you hate lines, and if you resonate with this, you also, the, 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 the living nightmare for you is when you have to go to the DMV to renew your license. Amen? That's true. Everyone gets that. Yeah, it, and I don't know. So I'm, I'm, my last experience in Ames, if you work here in this one, I, maybe, it's, maybe it's better, probably not, I don't know. But last time I went to the DMV was to renew my license. And I went up, I got my ticket to take my place in line and I waited uh, an entire hour to get up there, right? Finally got up there only to realize I was missing one of the four documents that I needed, right? So classic, that's probably why the line takes so long because people like me end up bringing all the documents, right? So I, I don't get my license that day, but I come back later that week and take my ticket. It's even busier this time. There's like 18 people in front of me. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to cheat the system. Uh, and, and so I, I leave and I'm like, I'm going to go hang out at home for a little bit. I live pretty close nearby. And then I come and I'm like, okay, it's probably about an hour 45 until I'll be up. And so I come back after an hour, hour and a half, only to realize that literally I missed my ticket by one person. So again, now I've been in line for like two and a half hours and I have, still don't have anything to show from it. So I come back later that week and I'm like, okay, I just have to wait. I just have to, I just have to go through this. And so I do, I wait another hour and I finally get my license. That's probably why I'm scarred. That's probably why like, I hate lines from this point is because of this moment. I hate waiting in lines, right? I don't think I'm alone in that. Like even in this season of waiting, we don't like waiting. Or that's why we have the self-checkout lines. Or that's how we have grocery pickup and grocery delivery. And I think all of this, it reveals something in us about us as humans. Right? We have a hard time for waiting for things. Right? We want to see immediate results. We don't want to see slow growth and waiting and waiting, right? It comes out in our shopping. It comes out in our diets and our health, right? We want the plan 
You know, we want the supplements that'll, that'll get the job done quick. We don't want to commit to the long haul. It comes out in our money, right? We want the get rich quick scheme. We don't want to actually have to see it come. We don't have to work for it. And though we may not think about it as much, I think, I think the same is true for us when it comes to waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Right, we often look around the world around us and maybe one of the questions we ask is, God, why are you moving so slowly? Why do we still have to wait for your kingdom to come in its fullest? And this would have been the same question the followers of Jesus would have had at his time. Jesus, that you are claiming here to be the Messiah, right, who's come to establish the kingdom of God on earth. When are you going to take everyone down and sit on your throne? Like, what's the big wait? They were expecting fast and immediate results. But this morning, we're going to see that Jesus disrupts this expectation of what the kingdom of God will look like and how it will come. And so that's where we're going. But before we get into this text, uh, this passage is going to talk a lot about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, okay? Jesus uses those things, those terms interchangeably. So I want to, I want to pause and ask, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is referring to the rule and the reign of God the rule and the reign, wherever God rules and reigns, right? And Matthew, throughout his gospel, he talks a lot about this coming kingdom. And so you might be a little bit confused at first and ask the question, okay, so it's the rule and reign of God. So does, like, where, where is the kingdom of God? Does God rule and reign over everything? Like, does God rule and reign over everything now? Does he have influence, rule and reign over everything? Well, the answer is in one sense, yes. And in another sense, not yet. And Christian theologians will often talk about this in the term, the kingdom of God, in the terms of the already, not yet. That in one sense, yes, absolutely, God reigns over all. Psalm 103 says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. God rules and reigns over all creation. There's nothing outside of his sovereign control. There's no one more powerful than him. There's no one in more control than he is. In one sense, yes, but in another sense, not yet. God's rule and reign hasn't culminated in this final state that one day it will here on earth. But that's why we see Jesus in the famous prayer. He prays, Father, your, king, your kingdom come, your will be done. He wants to see God's kingdom continue to come. It hasn't come in its fullest yet. Right, there's another sense in which the kingdom of God is not yet here as it will be one day. Right, and this is obvious to us as we look around our world. We're like, yep, amen. Like, like this world is as clearly not what it will be one day. Right, this, this, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign has clearly not come to all of our world in the way that it should. That's where we stand. And so it leaves us with this question, how do we get there? How will God grow his kingdom? So this is where we pick up in Matthew 13, verse 31. Jesus presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. And so to describe what the kingdom of God is like, Jesus starts by saying the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in a field. Now, here's the thing about mustard seeds. They are 
they are absolutely tiny. But in this region at this time, this was the smallest known mustard or seed that was available. And you can see up there, this is a picture of what a mustard seed looks like. I, if I were to hold one in my hand from here, you would not be able to see it. This is a mustard seed there, absolutely tiny. But when planted into the field and grown, it says these, these grow up taller than all other, the garden, like the garden plants, then they grow taller than all of the other plants until it reaches this final state of this, this full grown and mature tree. It stands above every other plant, it has branches that the birds of the sky come and, and lay its home. And so the big thing that Jesus is doing here is he's con contrasting the smallness of the mustard seed with the largeness of just how big this tree grows into. He says, this is what the kingdom of God will be like. It'll start small, smaller than anything else. And in its final state, it will grow to be bigger than anything else as well. And he uses another parable to illustrate a similar point. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leaven. Now, I'm not much of a baker. You know, I usually just look at the box of brownie mix and it tells me what to do. And so I had to do a little bit of research here. Uh, but here's some bread making 101. The main ingredient when making bread is flour and water. Okay, that's, those are the main ingredients. This is the majority of what you're going to put into your mixing bowl. Am I right here? Not it? Okay, good. Yep, okay. Majority of what's putting in your mixing bowl. But in order for the bread to rise, it needs a leavening agent. Right, the most common one that we used, which I learned is a type of uh, fungus, yeast. Um, so man, we're getting hungry already. Um, right? And when you mix the yeast in, right, the fermentation process begins, some sciencey stuff happens, and the dough rises and bread is made. Right? That's, how, that's how bread is made. So when you're making bread with 50 pounds of flour, you actually only use a tiny bit of leaven or yeast. Right, but that tiny bit of leaven is extremely important because when it's mixed in, it has a significant effect on the entire thing. Right, when it's mixed in completely, it has a significant effect on the entire thing. Right, without the leaven, the flour and the water just sit there. But when you mix the leaven in, it begins to rise. When you mix it in, the external agent, it begins to change the whole thing. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Seemingly small and insignificant at first, but when mixed into the whole world, it will change everything. So here's the first main point that Jesus is communicating to us this morning through these parables. We're gonna have two main points today and one application underneath each one. First one is the kingdom of God will start small, but it will grow to be bigger than anything else. It'll start small, be grow to be bigger than anything else. This is what Jesus says the kingdom of God is like, right? Like a mustard seed that grows into a tree that is bigger than anything else, like leaven that is mixed into the flour and changes everything. It'll change the entire world. This is the point that Jesus is making about the smallness by which the kingdom begins. And this point would have been absolutely shocking to the original Jewish audience because they have been waiting for this coming of the kingdom and the coming of the Messiah to rule and reign over everything. Right? They've been waiting for the promised Messiah, but their expectation of how this would happen was basically the exact opposite of what Jesus was describing here. Not like a tiny mustard seed, right? Like us, they didn't have any interest in waiting for this kingdom to come. They wanted it now. They didn't have any interest in humble beginnings. They expected immediate and powerful results. 
which is what makes Jesus' words here so shocking because he's saying, no, you, you have a wrong vision of what the kingdom of God will look like. This is how the kingdom of God will come. So one thing I find interesting about this passage is that this is actually a passage that we look at and we look at with a different perspective than they would have, they would have heard it at the time, right? Because this concept of how God's kingdom will come would have been hard for them to believe, right? Because it's so small in that moment. But for us, in our place in redemptive history, we don't have to take Jesus' words for it. We have seen this actually. Think about that. When Jesus' disciples heard these words, that the kingdom of God would start like a mustard seed, they're looking around each other like, yeah, no kidding, Jesus. Like we have some fishermen, a tax collector, right? Most of us are teenagers. Like no kidding, like it's gonna start small, Jesus. Like this is all you've got. Like us, you're gonna change the world through us. So they would have had a hard time with these words, believing that like this is actually going to turn into this kingdom that is bigger than anything else. They would have had to trust Jesus. And we do too, right? We have to trust Jesus, but we also have actually already seen Jesus' promise begin to play out, haven't we? Right, if you need evidence of that, like look in this room around you. Right, the fact that the kingdom of God started with a few people in the Middle East and now here in Cedar Falls, Iowa, we and dozens of other churches around us are singing songs of worship to King Jesus this morning. Like we've actually seen this begin to play out already. Right, they would have had to, to hear these words and trust Jesus and we do too, but, but, but we can look back and say, actually, no, like this promise that Jesus is making that it will start like a mustard seed and turn into a tree. We're already seeing that begin to play out. His kingdom has grown tremendously. Right, we're in the middle of the redemptive story. And so we look back to all that he's already done, but we also look forward and realize that God's kingdom has not yet come in his fullest. Right? And like the disciples, we need to trust that promise that it will and that it will continue to grow. God's kingdom started with a few disciples, has grown into the church that it is today, worshiping him here and in, in Asia and in Africa and in South America and everywhere else. It's amazing to have the perspective that we have today. But zoom out just a little bit more with me for a minute. Because even this picture doesn't grasp the beauty and the full scope of God's redemptive work. Right, this parable that Jesus shares highlights the smallness of the mustard seed and the largeness of the large mature tree. And when we zoom out and look at the kingdom of God in the redemption story, we see that the kingdom of God starts in a manger and it ends with all of heaven and earth worshiping King Jesus forever. But there is not a more humble beginning than the kingdom of God coming through a baby in a manger. Right, a lot of us have, have those little nativity sets at home and we look at those and we realize, yeah, there's nothing glamorous going on here. Right, if you didn't know, a manger is another word for a feeding trough where, where livestock ate out of. It was here in this unassuming bed, if you want to call it that, in this little village of Bethlehem, an unassuming place surrounded by unassuming people in the form of an unassuming baby that God would come to earth. This is how God's kingdom 
begins like a tiny little mustard seed. So it gives us that picture as small as can be, but it also gives us the big picture of what the kingdom will turn into. Revelation 21 describes what the, what the kingdom will culminate in. We see this picture of God's kingdom come to earth in its fullest. There's nothing humble about it. It is glorious and beautiful, right? There's a city that is taller, that has grown taller than every other city that has ever existed. There's no temple because God's presence is there in the fold. There's no sun because God's light illuminates every corner of the earth. A world with no more pain, no more curse, where God rules and reigns in every heart, where God sits upon his throne as king forever. It's the picture we see, like a mustard seed grows into a tree that stands above everything else. God's kingdom starts in a lowly manger and it culminates with all of heaven and earth worshiping him forever. Now, there are probably a number of applications that you could take away from this passage, but here's one that hits home for me. It's that we should marvel at God's love and power. We should marvel at God's love and power. God could have established his kingdom in any way that he wanted, but I think the way that he chose to highlights two things about his nature is that he is loving and he is powerful. He is loving, right? He could have come in like they expected, guns a-blazing, right? Everyone who sinned against me, which is all of you, you're done, time's up, you're dead, boom, right? And he would have been justified to do so in that way. But he loves us so much. And he has a desire to forgive us and to save his people. But he knew the only way to do that was to come to earth himself and to suffer the punishment for our sins on a cross. God's people, they wanted a mighty warrior who would bring powerful and immediate results. But what they didn't realize is what they needed was a suffering savior who would die for them because he loved them. God coming in this way, it highlights his love. And I think it also highlights his power. I think about that. There are a lot of startup companies around us that start really small, start in garages, right? And it turns into the Apples and the Microsofts and the Amazons, right? There's, there's a lot of nations that start as small nations and they grow to be these worldwide superpowers. But out of all these companies and all these kingdoms, all of them will eventually fall. But there's one kingdom that has never died and will never die. And it's the kingdom of God through humble beginnings and persecutions of every type along the way, God's kingdom continues to grow and it will only continue to do so until it comes in its fullest. One of the reasons that Jesus gave us this parable was to disrupt the expectations of his disciples and what they thought the coming of the kingdom would look like. So as we approach Christmas this week, but the coming of God's kingdom through a manger disrupt our expectations too. And spend time reflecting the amazing love and power of God. So that's our our first point. God's rule and reign on earth will begin like a mustard seed and will grow to be bigger than anything else. Well, I think Jesus was talking about this in, in an external sense. I think there's another point here. I think he was also talking about it in an internal sense. 
right? God's kingdom is his rule and reign. And God rules and reigns in our hearts if we are believers. But that rule and reign in our hearts also starts small and grows into something big, which is our second point, that spiritual maturity is a process. As we look back to the parables, they give us this target of what we're running towards. We're running towards this mature tree that stands above everything else, that has branches that have grown wide, that birds of the sky come to sit upon. In the same way, God's rule and reign in our hearts should grow to be taller than any other priority in our lives. But if we're honest with ourselves, if we look at our lives, we look at all the plants, the priorities in our lives, this is often not the case. We let other priorities like career and family and pleasures and material items of every type rule and reign in our hearts first. Now, sometimes this is most evidence during this Christmas season where there's shiny toys and a lot of family around us, which are good things. We see them outpacing the kingdom of God reigning in our hearts. And so it's worth examining this Christmas season. Does the kingdom of God stand taller than any priority and every priority in your life? Similarly, like the leaven that mixes into all the flour, the kingdom of God should permeate into every single area of our lives. That when we give our lives to Jesus, we commit everything to him. We say, Jesus, you can have every area of my life. But in reality, we're not often good at this as well. We create lines. We say, God, you can have this area, this area, and this area, but don't touch this area of my life. This is out of bounds. Does the kingdom of God permeate into every single area of your life? This parable, it gives us a vision of what the kingdom of God can look like, what we should want it to look like in our lives. This picture of this mature Christian whose greatest love and greatest priority is Jesus, who Jesus has permeated into every single area of their lives. But this parable also reminds that this type of spiritual maturity that we strive towards doesn't happen overnight. It is a process. And it starts with mustard seed size faith. I don't know if you guys have someone that comes to mind when you think of the spiritual giants in your life that look like those tall, mature trees of faithfulness. Or the person who clearly has a type of faith that stands, their faith stands taller than every other priority in their life. It's affected every part of who they are. The person that you look at and say, God, would you give me that type of faith? Would you make me like that person? I've probably got a handful of these people. You probably do too. And I know there's many of you even in this room that exemplify that. But one person that I would love to personally highlight that is a spiritual giant in my mind in this room is Mark Pingle. Let me tell you about Mark. If you don't know Mark, he's on our staff team here at Kendale. He helps take care of our facility. Right? He's not the type of guy to, to get a lot of stage time, but you would be hard pressed to find a man that is more faithful than Mark. Right? If you don't know Mark, that's who he is. And one of my favorite things about Mark, is that as this mature and deeply rooted tree, this deeply rooted man in Christ, he always has a hopeful and joyful attitude. 
right? I'll come into the, bu- the building, you know, and in my immaturity, I'll let my circumstances of that day kind of affect my mood, whether it's a good day, a bad day, a stressful day, whatever it looks like. And every time I'll walk by, I'll see Mark, say, Mark, how's it going? He'll say, how's it going? And he'll say the line when I say, how's it going? He'll, I've heard it many times. He'll say, doing good. The sun is up and the Lord is on his throne. Right, as simple as that, but it's beautiful. The sun is up, the Lord is on his throne. Now, that's the thing that permeates and it stands taller than any other priority in Mark's life is that truth. And if you find yourself here on a weekday, you've probably heard Mark's singing voice echoing the hallways, right? He sings loud too. He doesn't hold back. As he's cleaning the building, he's singing hymns that have been written on his heart. Truths that have been written on his heart. And if you know Mark personally, you also know this year hasn't been void of trials for him. He's been working through some health concerns. Yet by his demeanor, you would never know because his love for Jesus and his confidence in him does not waver one bit. This is the type of faith I want. This is the type of faith that I hope you want too. A faith that stands taller than every single other priority in my life and permeates into every single area of my life. How do we get this type of faith? Well, it doesn't start overnight. It starts with mustard seeds sized faithfulness. This type of faith, like a tree, isn't built overnight, but over months and years and decades of faithfulness. Faithful acts that nobody else sees. Right, the problem again is that we are an impatient people who don't like waiting. If we don't see immediate growth, we aren't interested. We grow discouraged and we quit. But this is not what the kingdom of God is like. We, we want the kingdom of God to be more like a microwave where we hit a few buttons and ding, it's done. We're, we're grown and we're ready to go. Right, but the kingdom of God is not like this. It's more like a smoker, right? Where we have to put the meat on and wait and wait and wait. And it hurts because it looks good, right? But it's actually better for it to wait. And it comes out even more beautiful. This is what the kingdom of God is like. And yes, sometimes God puts big moments and big, uh, big trials in our life, but the majority of the Christian life will look like that daily, slow, unseen acts of faithfulness. God using those to create a mature tree. And so practically, what does it look like to start today with mustard seed size faith? Here's application two. It's create habits that redirect your attention back to Jesus over and over. Create habits that redirect our attention back to Jesus over and over. Another word for these habits are spiritual disciplines. And there are a number of of spiritual disciplines that the Bible talks about, Bible reading and prayer and resting and giving and fasting, among others. And what is the purpose of these spiritual disciplines that we practice? Is to daily redirect our attention back to Jesus over and over so that he would transform our lives little by little by his grace. This is the path of spiritual maturity to turn our eyes every single day in the small moments back to Jesus time and time again. And so I don't know if you're a New Year's resolution person, but whether you are or you're not, I don't think there is any better resolution that each of us can make than to daily read our Bibles and pray. When we read our Bibles and we pray, We practice these spiritual disciplines. We spend time with God. And it's these mustard seed-sized faithful moments, right in the morning, 
Every morning when, when no one else is even awake or on our knees, it's these moments that God uses to transform our lives little by little until he turns us into that, that picture of the mature tree. Little by little, the rule and the reign of God begins to expand in our hearts. So we set up spiritual disciplines. Another habit that I think that can help redirect our attention back to Jesus over and over is a seasonal, seasonal rhythm, which is Advent, right? Advent, the season we're in now, the Advent means arrival. And during the weeks of Advent, Advent we symbolically, patiently wait for the coming of Christ. And while symbolically we wait for the first coming of Christ in a manger, in a very real way, we also wait now for the second coming of Jesus when his kingdom will come in his fullest. As people who tend towards impatience, we don't like waiting. Would we use Advent as this time to help us to slow down and to wait well? to slow down and to wait intentionally, to find moments for ourselves and moments for our families to come together to reflect on the kingdom of God that has come already through the birth of Jesus Christ and that will come in its fullest when he comes one day again. And finally, there are personal habits, seasonal habits. There are also corporate habits. And we're gonna have the opportunity to practice one of those habits this morning, which is the Lord's Supper, which is communion. And the band is gonna come up and as they do, I wanna talk about a, a communion, what the Lord's Supper is, this, this habit. The Lord's communion, the Lord's Supper is a symbol that Jesus left with us and told us to practice often as we redirect our praise back to him time and time again. Right, a small symbol a seemingly small and insignificant symbol as we hold it, but it is exactly the type of thing that Jesus uses to transform our lives so he comes to rule and reign our hearts more fully. And so in a few minutes, I'll lead us through the taking of the elements. And if you're a believer in Jesus, I invite you to participate with us. This is who baptism or uh, communion is for, is for believers. But before we partake, I want to provide some extended time to allow us to do what I hope the rhythm of our heart, hearts becomes. To time and time again, redirect our praise and our eyes towards Jesus. With the hope that he, that God's kingdom will come to rule and reign in our hearts more fully. It will rise above every other priority in our lives. It will permeate into everything and we won't hold anything back, no parts of our life back from God's rule and reign. As we go into communion, will we reflect on this? Would we confess that, Jesus, we want you to rule, in our reign, rule and reign in our hearts. The reflection prompt will be on the screen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.